Mark 9, starting in verse 14. Mark 9. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I, I brought you my son. He is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth and he gnashes his teeth. And he becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the Spirit, but they couldn't do it. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How, sh how long shall I put up with you? Bring the sick boy to me. So they brought him. And when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, and he rolled around, and he foamed at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has it been like this? From childhood? It's been like this a long time, and we haven't known what to do. It's often thrown him into the fire, or it's thrown him into the water to try and kill him. But if you can do anything, Take pity and help us. If you can, said Jesus. Everything is possible for those who believe. Immediately the boy's father ex exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked. It convulsed him violently and it came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus, he took him by the hand and he lifted him to his feet. And the boy stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive him out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we 
come before you. We come before you with children in our own lives who from birth deal with sickness and suffering. And God, in our world, we don't know whether or not to call it a genetic problem. We don't know it, if it's something in the DNA. We don't know if it's something that happened with outside forces. And we don't know, Father, if it's a demon. With so much uncertainty, so many questions. Father, every time we see illness, every time we see brokenness and the result of sin and suffering and heartache and death and sadness, we confess, God, that we have the same heart as the Father who came before your Son. that as we look into our world and we wonder if there is healing, we wonder if there is help, we wonder if you're awake to what is going on and we want to stir you and waken you up, God, and ask for your help. God, the cry of our hearts this morning is that we do believe Help us in our unbelief. Help us, God, to see how we so often sell you short. How we often trust in our own strength. How we often, in our discouragement of our own strength, forget to talk to you and ask you for our help. Ask you to act. Ask you to move and heal and love. So God, in the midst of all of our discouragement, in the midst of all of our heartache and our sadness, in the midst of daily life in a broken world, awaken our hearts to you and your goodness. Let us see your goodness and your grace and your love and your power and your authority and what you have done through your son Jesus. Let us see you clearly that we might follow you and trust you and suffer for you, and sacrifice for you, and give you our whole hearts, every ounce of our strength, every heart, every bit of our heart, every bit of our mind, all that we are, out of a deep and sincere love and trust and obedience and faith and allegiance to you in all things. And out of the overflow of our heart that is given to you, may we love our neighbor. May we love one another. May we love even ourselves in our despair and our depression and our anxiety and our worry. May we see you for all that you are and all of your goodness and all the good that you've done our own hearts. And for the things, Lord, that need to be handled by prayer. May we fall on our knees and humbly ask you, Lord, to move, to heal, to help, to provide a way 
God, that in the desperation of our hearts, we would know that it is you who loves us and cares for us. As we study your word, may your spirit work and move and open our hearts to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When you go to Kalkaska Feed and Supply, you will notice uh, a prevalence of something. It's called uh, dust and uh, dirt, and there's an endless supply. And so uh, when I go there and I help out my dad, I can uh, spend as much time as I need sweeping. And there is, in my life, no problem too large that can't be solved uh, when I'm done sweeping. I just sweep and sweep until I sort my life out. And uh, there's always another nook and another cranny that needs to be swept and cleaned uh, in my dad's building. It's 100 and almost 160 years old, I think. Um, I wasn't around then, so I can't guarantee it. But uh, the, uh, so it's just, I just always do that. And so sweeping helps, but also um, I've had the great pl- privilege in my life to spend so many years already uh, just working alongside my dad. And I've, I've mentioned that before. And um, and it was uh, that time again that meant a lot to me uh, to be with him. And this time I was, uh, I was actually inspired for this morning's message. And it's a direct thing from my dad. And so I was like, Dad, that'll preach. So I'm going to do that. We were talking and, and he said, you know, so often this time of year, people start talking about getting Jesus, getting Christ back into Christmas. And, you know, we, we start harping on it, you know, all of the materialism, all the consumerism, all of the hurriedness, we got to get Christ back into Christmas. And he said, you know what, I think we need to be a little more concerned about getting Christ back into Christians. Like, dang, Dad, that's good. And so I was reflecting on uh, the Gospel of Mark this week, and I was thinking about uh, just that, uh, how how really... uh, Christians, and, and it's a really a critical thing, but if you think about it, uh, just a lot of the pressure that we face and a lot of the things going on in our world, if we would have Christians, Christ followers, actually following Christ, I mean, this would be a world of good for us, right? In, that we would uh, actually be following and listening and obeying what Christ has to say. I think that the heart of the issue, uh, the big part, the big umbrella is, is that it's a discipleship I- issue. Are we earnestly seeking and following Jesus Christ with our lives? Now, I think there are a lot of uh, tendencies and things that end up happening in our life. And if you uh, get out uh, the sermon notes, I'd like to highlight in the Gospel of Mark, the goal this morning, it's an ambitious sermon. Uh, really, it's basically, I should just read the whole thing. Uh, thankfully, uh, we are going to look at the Gospel of Mark next year. It's on my preaching calendar to cover uh, uh, for 16 weeks. So we'll spend some time uh, with Mark next year. But this morning, I wanted to sort of highlight uh, the Jesus that we, uh, that we get. Mark writes a fast-paced, like if you're wanting to like, get a picture of Jesus uh, in, a, in a short setting, I mean, you can read it in a couple of hours and... 
and you can get so much of what you're supposed to see about who Jesus Christ is. Uh, so Mark is writing to an audience, I think, in the late 60s A.D., and in the Roman world in the late 60s A.D., there's all kinds of turmoil. In 70 A.D., all of that turmoil is going to result in the, in the destruction of the Jewish temple. And so that wasn't just an overnight thing, like, oh, surprise, like there was all sorts of turmoil and heartache and suffering going on before that. And so the tension of being a Christ follower would have been incredibly difficult. And so if you're writing a message to people, the Gospel of Mark is a message of cling to your faith and don't give up. And so every sort of story is an echo of this of this reminder to not give up on who Christ is and keep following him. And so when I was thinking about and reflecting on uh, what my dad said, and I thought, you know what, that's just what we need. As we feel the pressure to maybe not follow Christ or to kind of take Christ and his teaching and his ways out of our ways, that maybe we need an injection of the gospel of Mark into our hearts and say, what is, what is the clear vision of who Jesus Christ is? Who is it that we are following? What is it about Jesus Christ that we would lay down everything and follow him with our whole lives? And so the Gospel of Mark is the story of people doing just that, leaving behind everything that they could go and follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Over and over again, we get an echo of who, uh, what Jesus' identity is, who he is. Uh, we get a picture of sacrificial love, and I want to talk a little bit about all of that this morning uh, in, uh, in 10 minutes. So, all right. All right, or I'll keep you after if you don't behave, but here we go. All right, so, uh, so for me, uh, the Gospel of Mark, he, uh, he presents for us a clarifying vision of the identity of Christ. If we are to take Christ out of our Christianity or when we take Christ out of our Christianity, I think we fail to see the true identity of who Christ is. That He is the Son of the living God. He is our Lord and Savior. And that identity has bearing on our lives. Christ is either the Lord of your life, or hear this, or He isn't. I know it. It's deep stuff there, but consider your ways. He is either Lord and King of your life, and He has bearing on how you live and conduct and listen to Him, or He is simply not. And the problem is, and, and what we tend to paint the picture is, the problem is that Jesus isn't in the marketplace, or Jesus isn't in our government, or Jesus, uh, He isn't in our courtrooms. We could argue till we're blue in the face on that, but hear me on this. The issue is, is that Jesus isn't the Lord of our hearts. The issue is a heart problem. The issue is, is Jesus Christ your Lord and King? Do you believe Him to be the Son of the living God? And do you respond accordingly? Jesus needs to be our Lord and our King. And over and over again in the Gospel of Mark, the identity of Jesus as the Son of God just sort of pours out of the text. The first occurrence we have is from the heavens, and I read it this morning already with the baptism of Jesus. At the baptism, it says the heavens are opened, and, and we hear a voice from heaven that says, This is my Son whom I love. Listen to Him. If we need 
proof and evidence that we should listen to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the Son of the living God. It comes from God the Father Himself who says, listen to Him. It's like, okay, no argument here, God, right? Some of you want to argue with Him. I see it in you. He's like, I want to push back on that. But you can't because God says so. Sorry, people. But we even hear it, as crazy as it is, a few different times from evil spirits. They're like, when Jesus comes into their presence, they're like, what are you going to do with us, Son of God? Like, they start, they immediately recognize the power and authority and who has come into their presence. We hear it from those who are closest to Him. We, we see uh, in Mark chapter 8, verse 27 through 30, there's the question about who, who do people say I am? And it's, uh, some say Elijah, some say a prophet. He says, who do you guys say I am? And they all say, you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. And, and they are getting, we are getting a picture from the Gospel of Mark who this Jesus is. He is the Son of God. And if it's not as clear as day at the very end of the story where we think that all is lost and the crucified Lord is hung on the cross and he's dead, we see the centurion, he says, this man who is a part of the crucifixion. He's like, surely this man was the Son of God. Surely this Jesus is the Son of God. Over and over again, we get a clear picture of the identity of who Christ is. And when we as Christians lose our way, when we start taking Christ out of our Christianity, I think the tendency is to start ignoring the authority that the Son of God has over all of creation and over our hearts. The issues of our world, yes, they're systematic, problematic. Sin has run rampant, and it's running amok. But what God has done is change people's hearts, each and every one of us individuals, to be the church together and be God's testimony to this world. We are a part of God's plan for reconciling the world. And so we can look at the brokenness of the world or we can hear what Paul says and what he calls each and every one of us as ambassadors of Christ Jesus for his kingdom. We do that as children of the Lord Most High. We are sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. That's who we are when we declare Jesus as Lord and King. And we want to put Christ back into our Christianity and we want to make much of Jesus as we possibly can. I am not a, a very good theologian. I can't tell you all of the different nuances of transubstantiation, consubstantiation, trans—you uh, know, and add whatever ation you want to add onto it. But here's, here's my test if something is good or bad. It's pretty simple. Does it make much of Jesus or does it diminish Jesus and who he is? If it elevates Christ as Lord and King, if it makes much of him and his glory and honor, then hey, by golly, I'm all for it. In our lives, we have to have a high Christology. That's what that is, Christology. And is that we would make much of Jesus with our lives and our attitudes and our hearts. I don't know if my theory will hold water with smart theologians in this world, but to me it works. And it's a simple question. Does what I believe and what I do make much of Jesus Christ? Does what I believe and what I do make much of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for me and for you? 
A high Christology wants to make much of Christ because he deserves all glory and honor and praise. Mark has a high Christology. He says this Jesus is the Son of the living God. And our Christianity, to have Christ in it, is going to make much of him. Hey, I got point one done in five minutes. We'll see how it goes from here. We take Christ out of our Christianity when we lose sight of the mission and the purpose of Jesus. When Christians declare that Jesus is Lord, it's not so that he can serve our own individual mission. So often we see a twisting of Christianity. That we would be Christ followers or that Christ would follow what it is that we want him to do. I, I have a picture sometimes in my mind that I treat God like he's a holy vending machine. There was an $886 million jackpot, and I was convincing myself that God wanted me to have it. I was this close to buying the Hoosier lottery ticket, but it turns out I don't really know how to do that. Uh, uh, that was a joke. I sort of do. You go to a place, and you give them money, and then you lose your money. Uh, but, uh, the, uh, but, but Jesus did not come and lay down his life so that I could have all that I wanted. And there's preachers who will tell you that. And I hope that I'm clear that it's not about padding your bank accounts or making your life feel all secure and cozy. In fact, the message over and over again in the Gospels is that you are actually going to lose your life to follow him. And there's a, uh, there's a story later on in, in that I was going to cover is the rich man who says all that he's done. And Jesus says, yeah, now you've got to sell everything you have and give to the poor, and then you can come follow me. And then the, the disciples, in a rare moment of like actually figuring out, hey, that's what we did. They're like, hey, we've, we did this. We, we gave up everything. We gave up our, our mothers and our brothers and our sisters, and we came and we follow you. We gave up everything. And, and Jesus says, yeah, guys, you got this right. You guys are close to the kingdom of God, but it is so difficult for people to understand that it takes you giving up everything to get life and hope. And what Jesus says is the great thing is as you give up these things, as you give up these securities and these places that we put our hearts and our trust, as you give these things up, guess what? You get brothers and sisters and more than you ever could have imagined. And we get a gl glimpse of that and we get a taste of that every time we gather, every time we get to spend time with our Christian brothers and sisters. My, grandp my grandparents have all passed away. I don't have any left. But I don't live... I don't live today as one who is lack of grandparents. I don't lack the sort of comfort and love there is in getting baked goods from a grandma. I get it all the time. I don't lack in having brothers, uh, even though I, one lives in New York and one lives in Michigan, I have brothers all around me every day. The gift of the kingdom of Christ is that you are never alone and that you have life in Him and there's forgiveness and love and there's family and there's always someone there. And Jesus says, you have to give all of this away, but you inherit so much more. And it's not about beating uh, or punching the right buttons and God pouring out all of these blessings so that you can have more and more securities in this world. It's so that you would know 
that despite all of these things and all of the advertisements and all of the things that you would think you would find security in this world, your security and your strength and your hope and everything is found in Christ Jesus, your Lord and your King. It's all there and it's in Him. When we lose sight of His mission, the mission of Jesus Christ was clear. It says when He preached that the kingdom of God was near, the kingdom of God was at hand, His mission was to show the world that the kingdom of God was breaking in and that you could have a life in it and all of you freely get to accept this as a free gift to come into a life in Jesus Christ. That's his message to you. And he repeats it over and over again. And if you doubt me, you just look. Every time he announces good news, you tell me what it is he announced. It's the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's welcoming you, and you have a place in it. And his teaching was all about it. And he says uh, that he came to seek and save the lost, and to redeem and save, to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' mission over and over again was about welcoming people in and letting them know that they have a place in the kingdom of God. He was asked what the greatest commandment was and he said hear O israel the lord our god the lord is one love the lord your god with all of your heart with all of your soul with all your mind and all your strength and he said the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself and the guy who asked the question said man you got that right on that's a good answer i agree with you this makes sense that the whole law sort of hangs on that and jesus he says this he says man you got it right And your answer, your response to understanding this, I want you to know that you're close to the kingdom of God when you do this. Why do we love God and why do we love others? Is it a rule for us to live by? Or is it God saying, this is how you embrace the kingdom? This is how you draw nearer and closer and you feel it and you experience it and you know it in your lives. That when we love God and we love others, we see God's kingdom touching base in our world and we experience in our life together. Friends, the mission of Jesus is to announce the availability of the kingdom and make it possible for every single one of us to have a life in it. When we take Christ out of Christianity, we ignore this mission. And we seek the kingdoms of self, the kingdoms of this world. Let's put Christ back into our Christianity. Let's put his mission back into Christianity. Let's put his teachings and and let's obey and let's listen to him. Let's bring Christ back into what it is to be Christians and followers of Jesus Christ. Mark, he shares with us the power and value of sacrifice. And I'd ask that you'd look at each of those stories and ask the question, how do I see sacrifice and the value of it? But so much of Christianity, we take Christ out of Christianity when we replace suffering love, the subversive love of the cross, when we replace the love of Christ with top-down power. We take Christ out of our Christianity. Christ frequently in the Gospel of Mark, He refuses popularity and power to reveal the greatness of sacrificial love. Every time Jesus does something amazing in the Gospel of Mark... He's like, don't tell anybody about it. Stop it. 
And then they go and they tell people. And I think Jesus is like, oh boy. you know. But every time, and I think Jesus is saying, I am not in pursuit of popularity. Stop telling people all about what I'm doing. Knock it off. Because they know how quickly they're going to start lofting him up and saying, he's the guy we want to be king. And we want him to rule with top-down authority. And we want him to do it that our way. The way we've always asked our kings to rule. And Jesus is saying, the way that I'm going to rule is through sacrificial love and suffering love. And I want to show this to you. And so he's going to refuse popularity. He's going to refuse power as the world dishes it out. And he's going to show the true power of love. And he embodies this and he teaches us all along the way. Say, pay attention to this. He was in the temple and the poor widow brought in all that she had and it was just half a penny and she puts it in the, in the offering plate. And, and Jesus says, this lady gave more than anybody else because she gave out of her poverty. She gave out of her devotion. She gave out of her love. She gave sacrificially. And Jesus is saying, that's more in my kingdom than anything else. And the rich man, he looks at all that he has and he can't give it away. He doesn't want to give it. But then it's the Son of Man, the Son of God on the cross and he, he's hanging on the cross and he gives all that he has sacrificially in love and he gives it all for every single one of us. And it's in the power of that that Jesus Christ remakes the world. Friends, this is the good news. And it is for us. And it is for the world to know and hear and be proclaimed from our lips that our, our Christianity would have Christ uh, high and lifted up within our message over and over again, that the world is not made right through power, but through sacrificial love over and over again. There's the story of the alabaster jar that was broken and poured out, and everybody's upset. We could have given all the money to the poor. Jesus is like, you have me here with you. Pour it all out for me. She did this for me. This is a good thing. Read the story. It's a great story. Mark offers the encouragement that we need to remain faithful to Jesus Christ. Putting our Christianity, uh, Christ back in our Christianity. Part of it is, is figuring out that we often worry about the same things that the disciples worried about. We worry for our lives. When things aren't going as planned. When it's the sort of metaphorical storms at sea. We need a reminders from the Gospel of Mark. Just what Jesus says to the storms in our world today and the storms in our life. Be still. He says to the storms to be quiet and be still and he asks us, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? We're a lot like the disciples when we're worried about life. We need to be reminded about who Jesus truly is. And the disciples say, who is this guy? Even the winds and the waves, they obey him. In the face of death, we need to be reminded of Jesus raising the dead girl. And he says to all of them, the disciples and the families, don't be afraid, just believe. 
When we worry that we don't have enough, we can pick up the Gospel of Mark and we can read of the story of Jesus feeding the thousands a couple of different times. And we can trust and know that in Jesus Christ and in His hands, what we have will be enough. It'll be food for the hungry. It'll be food for the thousands. It'll be enough in Jesus Christ. When we are overwhelmed at our lack of control, I know none of you like control, but uh, when we're facing the sea of evil, we can listen and hear. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind died down. When life leaves us wondering if anything can be done, we find ourselves as a father looking at the hurting son. And he's at the end of his rope, and it's been this way his son's entire life. And he says to God himself, if you can, if you can heal him, would you? And Jesus says, everything is possible for the ones who believe. Everything's possible for those who put their faith and their allegiance and their trust and their devotion to Jesus Christ. And he tells his followers that when we are broken and we don't know what's next, he tells us this word that echoes from his voice when he told the disciples that day. It echoes all the way now until now, into our present. He's saying to us, when we're at the very end of our rope and we don't know what to do next, when we are looking at the poverty and the hurt and the suffering of our world, when there are sicknesses and things that we cannot explain away, when we are tired and weary and broken and hurting, Jesus says to all of us, this sort of thing is handled by prayer alone. And so friends, I've picked up the Gospel of Mark and I've read it. And this is the image I have in my heart over and over again. It's Jesus on the boat lying with his head on a pillow sleeping in the middle of a storm. And the disciples are broken and they are desperate and they're wondering if they're going to die. And they wake him up. And they say, Don't you care? Look at what's going on. And Jesus calms the storm. And he says, why are you so afraid? Start trusting in me. For me, the way we put Christ back into Christianity is pretty simple. We start trusting in Jesus again. We look at our lives and we start asking the deep, hard questions about how am I turning my trust in Jesus and who He is and what He's about and His ways. Do I I not trust that His way is the best way? I know it's hard to think that suffering love is the best way, but it's the way Jesus tells us to live, and so we don't have much options. Do I trust in Him and His identity and who He truly is? Do I trust that when my prayers are offered up that he's listening? 
And so sometimes in life, it feels like you have to wake Jesus up. Give him a little nudge and say, hey, you're sleeping on the boat again. But I have this situation here that I need you to calm down and I need your help with. But friends, so much of my walk with Christ has been thinking about the Father who's looking at His Son and He wants to believe that Jesus can do something about what's going on in His life, but He needs a little help. And so maybe it's trusting in God, but maybe it's also a little bit of this Father and His message to us. Help my unbelief. Help me to know you, love you, seek you, and trust you in everything that I have and all that I am. And trust and know that you are Lord and your King. Let's put Christ back into our Christianity. Let's trust Him and let's pray and let's follow the way of the suffering, way of the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and I thank you for today. And I echo the prayer that I offered at the beginning. God, that we would trust in you and know you and trust and believe that Jesus is the way. God, we recognize that we so often hand over our trust and obedience to the quick and easy fix to what feels good in the moment. God, that we so often wait till the very last moment when we're at the very last end of our rope to turn to you. We recognize this in ourselves, but we also recognize that you're at the end of the rope with us. That you don't leave us and abandon us. That your scriptures remind us over and over again that you are with us, your people. And so with our whole hearts, God, we want to love you and seek you. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The apostles gathered around Jesus. Wait, wrong part. Sorry, my bad. No, that's not wrong. That is wrong. I wanted to start here. But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, and coming on the clouds of heaven. As a people, we need to show our world that there is one who is coming again. He's the Son of God. He's a risen King. And He is seated at the right hand of God, the majesty of heaven. He's worthy of all our praise. You may have already given your life to Christ, if you haven't, I would encourage you to make today the day to do it. 
If you're broken, if you are hurting, I'd like to offer a prayer with you. And just come forward and I pray with you. If you want to give your life to Christ, come forward. I want to talk to you about baptism and following Christ. There is one who is coming. And he's going to be coming in on the clouds of heaven. He's the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. Give your life to him. Will you stand in response to